Welcome to Buddha at the Gas Pump. My name is Rick Archer, and my guest this week is Kristen Kirk. Kristen lives in western Massachusetts, and you'll learn all about her in the next couple of hours. Kristen and I did a three-hour interview yesterday, and I discovered at the end of it that her side of the audio hadn't recorded. There was no way to retrieve it. So we both took that very philosophically, she more than I, and <laughs> spent a bunch of time here messing with equipment, and uh, we've, we believe we have it working now. But it's good in a way, because that was a dress rehearsal in a sense, and uh, I think today's interview will be even more substantial and, and interesting for the listeners. Kristen was brought to my attention a couple of months ago by a fellow who had attended a weekend seminar retreat that she had conducted up in Seattle and he sent me a bunch of recordings. He was raving about her, I listened to a little bit. And what struck me immediately and has been reinforced now in having had this conversation with Kristen is that she speaks very genuinely from her own experience. She didn't really have a spiritual teacher or practice prior to the spiritual unfoldment which began to occur for her. And she hasn't read a lot of spiritual books. In fact, I'll bring out certain terms and she'll say, I don't know what that means. But she does know what it means on the level of her experience. I think people will find that refreshing as, you know, a lot of times, and I'm guilty of it more than anyone, people have a lot of jargon without enough direct experience to substantiate it. Welcome back, Kristen. <laughs> Thank you. It's my pleasure. We were just talking before the interview, and, and my wife Irene was also bringing up some points that I had been thinking of, which was that I find that a lot of times when people have a kind of an innocent spiritual awakening that they hadn't really worked on or done practices for or anything else, they also even had some stuff in early childhood, which was sort of a an indicator that this might happen a little bit later in life. Did, did you have any anything going on in your childhood which you would consider significant in terms of any sort of spiritual glimpses or experiences? There's only one thing that comes to mind. I mean, I had different sort of psychic experiences, but those are really different than my experience of awakening. I remember when I was 13, I had an experience of... I don't even quite know how to describe it actually, but it was a sort of knowing of myself. The only reference I had for it was Jesus. I was brought up Christian and there was this just incredible enlightened quality. And it's only been in the last few years that that memory has come back because the quality of presence in myself sometimes has that reflection. It's not sustained at that extreme, but it came forward at, yeah, when I was 13, that was both that quality as well as a knowledge that, and this is part of the metaphysical piece too, that every single place in consciousness can be experienced from a single point. And there was a third thing of knowing that there was an ability to move things without touching them. Oh, yeah? So, yeah, and this I remembered after our interview yesterday, that was the only precursor and doing the healing work that I do where I'm experiencing thoughts and emotions and karma as stuff, as material and being present with the moving of it or the releasing or the transforming of it. That feels really similar to that 13 year old experience of being able to move things. Give us an example of something you might have moved when you were 13 without touching it. 
oh, no, I didn't move anything when I was 13. It was when I was 13, I just had this expanded experience of experiencing myself as a divine being. I mean, again, all I had the reference for was, was Christ, was Jesus, mm -hmm. and the awareness of a capacity to move things. So it wasn't that anything happened after that moment. You just asked, were there any precursors? And I would say there I was see. only that, again, innocent 13-year-old experience that made no sense at the time. But when I started doing the healing work and started having the experience of feeling things move in that way without touching them, yeah. basically, that jogged my memory to 13. And that level of, I don't know what word to use, that quality of consciousness. Another thing that, yeah. uh, that occurs to me is, and this is pretty common in, in Eastern traditions, is that obviously you may have done a lot of work in previous lives. Like in the Gita, for instance, Arjuna asked Lord Krishna, you know, what happens if a person is on the path and they don't get enlightened and they die? And Krishna basically just says, well, they pick up where they left off, <laughs> roughly paraphrasing. And since you do have memories of past lives, not only yours, but you perceive them in people you're working on, do you have any recollections of having been a spiritual practitioner in past lives? Sure. But a lot of the work happened in between lives. There uh -huh. are all these different dimensions, and so there's an awareness of applying myself. <laughs> it's almost more like in response to some of the density of the past lives, there was the impetus to evolve. And so that was done a lot through my in-between in lives. But there, I mean, there is a life I remember being a Tibetan monk mm -hmm. and using bowls. We had these bowls that we would do healing with. And I remember... Bulls, like male cows? Bulls? Oh, no. B-O-W-L. Oh, bulls. I see. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like what well, we, we call them singing, singing bulls. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and there were bulls that we had used to do healing work with people when they would come and visit the place where we were. Okay. So, so I remember that, but I, but I haven't had like lots and lots of lives of spiritual practices. I mean, there, there have been some, but again, it feels like it's been more in between lives. Mm. You don't read a lot of spiritual books, but did you ever read Michael Newton's book uh, or books? He was this hypnotist that was hypnotizing people to kind of go back to early childhood memories and stuff. And, and he had one in which the person kept going and they started remembering all this stuff that happened between lives. And that, that became his specialty. And he interviewed thousands of people and hypnotized thousands of people to go back and chronicle the whole thing. Has it very well worked out. So then uh, in 2003, something really started opening up for you. You, you had become a shiatsu practitioner and student and somehow that triggered some kind of awakening? The next marker that I would name would be in 1990, 1991. I started having past life memory mm. and communicating with spirit guides and hearing animals, doing telepathy with animals and hearing the spirits of plants. And again, there was nothing that was done for that to happen. It just, it just opened and started happening. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if I were to have any spiritual practice at that point, it would have been just a deep, deep connection with what I would have called spirit at the time, a deep reverence, love, respect, and trust that I was always listening to that and then open to this magnificence of all these levels of communication and how much capacity we have as human beings that most people aren't experiencing. Mm. So that feels like the next marker. And then I would say in 2003, there was more the experience of an awakening. I was just going to say, just to put that in kind of a historical context to corroborate it, it's completely 
part of the, the sort of traditional spiritual literature, at least of India, that the kinds of things you're describing are expected to happen in the course of one's evolution. Patanjali talks about being able to communicate with animals, for instance, and remembering past lives, and in, in the Yoga Sutras he discusses that. I've actually met someone in India, and there are many others who communicate with plants so clearly that the plant tells them what it's good for in terms of its medicinal value and so on. It, they can just exactly. walk, walk through the forest, and, the, and it's kind of like Alice in Wonderland. The plants are saying, eat me, you know, <laughs> for, for this exactly. particular reason. <laughs> uh, totally. That's, that's my experience. Yeah. Totally. I was out horseback riding, this is a few years ago, and there was this gorgeous mushroom that was on the side of the road, huge, and it was calling out for me to eat it. And I know enough about mushrooms, even though I believe the mushroom, that I still wasn't going to go just eat the mushroom. When I was riding my horse on the way back, there was a woman who had pulled over on the side of the road and was harvesting this mushroom and said, you know, you can eat these. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so for me, in that moment, there was a recognition, too, of the mushroom in its own divine self, wanting to be of service and wanting to be eaten. And whoever was willing to meet that, there was that, that satisfaction. Yeah. Of the plant getting to serve the way it was wanting to. So. Yeah. Lest this all sound a little kooky to some people, and some people take it in stride, but in the course of this conversation, we're going to get into the mechanics of how the kinds of things you're saying could be. I mean, how does a mushroom have the intelligence to call out to a passing horseback rider that it wants to be eaten, you know? And we're going to discuss that sort of thing in the course of this conversation. Yeah, and I would just say simply, and, and we can talk more about it later, but just simply everything is conscious. Mm -hmm. if, ev if everything is one and everything is divine, everything is conscious. And the more that we wake up to the truth of who we are, the more we're not separate from everything, and we are, we are in communication with all of this exquisite manifestation that's happening. Yeah, beautiful. So what happened in 2003? Yeah, so 2003, I had been in my shiatsu practice for 10 or 12 or I'm not quite sure how many years at that point, and there was this inner call to be doing a different kind of healing work. So the previous couple of years, I had studied with two different shamans. I had flown to California to study with another woman. And all of the things that I was studying were beautiful. And I didn't study them long because it wasn't what I was supposed to be doing. There's this inner knowing. Um, and so one part of the, the catalyst in 2003 was inner surrendering to just the truth that if something was going to come out, it had to come out on the inside because it wasn't being shown to me on the outside. And the other thing that happened at that same time was there was a sudden recognition that even though I had been deeply devoted to spirit my whole life, you know, those were the words I would have used, even though I was deeply devoted, it was a quiet voice of spirit that I would listen to in the background and then I would drive my car, you know, I was on the, holding the steering wheel. And I realized that I was actually afraid, which was a shock to me, that if I trusted that divine voice so much, then why would I be afraid and still be driving the way that I was? Um, and so it was just this recognition of being a hypocrite, that if I truly trusted that voice with my life, which I did, then why, then why was I letting the fear in front. So, so it was an experiment, actually. It was just, and in that innocence, you know, that we were speaking about earlier, it was just total innocent curiosity of knowing that my whole life, I knew what it was like to listen to spirit, but have fear in front. 
And I didn't know what it would be like if I set the fear off to the side and let that small voice come forward. And so it was the combination of those two things, knowing that this healing work was going to have to come from the inside because I wasn't seeing it on the outside, and that that inner experiment of setting the fear aside. So it was those two things together that shifted things. And it was, wasn't an immediate shift. It was a, a couple months later with a total resting in the unknown of what the product of the experiment would be. So there was a, a couple months of just sort of open, open wondering, not knowing. Mm. Yeah. I think this experience of fear is somewhat universal when it comes to consciousness anyway. There's a verse in the Upanishads which says, certainly all fear is born of duality. So if you're in a dualistic state, you're kind of on thin ice, so to speak, you know, and there's, there's necessary, you know, that which you know, think yourself to be is, is firstly a very poor driver of the car. You know, because it doesn't have universal intelligence, really. It's just a kind of an individual expression. And it's, it's very tenuous. I mean, it can die, it can get hurt, and, you know, all kinds of things can happen. But when, as, it, as was your experience, you kind of shift and, and let that little voice in the background take over in the driver's seat, then what can go wrong? I'll, I'll add that part of the fear was that I would lose control. Yeah. I would lose control, I'd lose control of my life, and my life would completely change, and there would be nothing that I could do about it. And, and, and that was exactly true. That was exactly true. And, you know, it was perfect. It's totally perfect. My life has changed dramatically, and I'm totally loving life, loving my life, loving the expressions that are happening, and the, the fullness and richness. Yeah, it's like Alice in Wonderland, <laughs> basically, yeah. as you said. It's like opening up to this magnificent truth that's happening. I think a lot of people can relate to that. It is this tussle, this control issue thing that I think a lot of people go through on the spiritual path where they're called upon at a certain point to relinquish control, which they've never really had anyway, but at least to relinquish the, the illusion of control. There's even a bumper sticker, let go and let God. But it can be fearful for that which thinks it's in control, right? Because it's, it's kind of a uh, Jack of the Beanstalk thing. What would happen if I, you know, sold the cow for these magic beans? It's a, a little bit of a leap into the unknown, don't you think? Right, right. And and it feels really important to also, I don't know, I guess speak also to the, the emptiness and the nothingness that's present with all of it. Because before the awakening, there was magnitude of awesome experience, you know, in terms of communicating with plants and animals and being in the absolute wonder of of this exquisite planet that we live on and that we participate in. And along this awakening path, because I hadn't studied anything, I wasn't on a particular path, there were realizations that were really surprising to me. Um, and one of the first ones that was really shocking was from the experience of infinite I am. It's a singular, just singular consciousness. The experience of that disappearing and words are really tricky but into a an absolute non-existence that can't be experienced because there's there's it's absolute empty i mean empty is even too full of a word <laughs> mm. and then the reappearance of the the i am that was a shock to me and from there then layers of experiencing nothingness inseparably from all of this magnificence so I'm just aware that the little bits of spiritual 
jargon that I've heard, you know, of people having concern about getting lost in all the wonder. For me, nothing's been chased after or sought. It's all just unfolded. And at this point, all this amazing wonder is inseparable from an absolute, complete, utter nothingness, you know, at the, the same time. It's all happening at the same time. I think you just answered a question that I was going to ask. I, and that was that, you know, back in the 90s and so on, when you were having all these wonderful experiences, I get the sense that it, the, your orientation was still, it's Kristen having all these wonderful experiences, you know, little, oh, yeah. little me experiencing this memory or this plant talking to me or this animal or whatever. Whereas what happened in 2003 is a whole different dimension kind of opened up, which was not just the little me, the, the kind of the universal ground of being became part of the range of your experience. Would that be a fair summary of what you just said? Not quite, because the 2003 awakening was an initial awakening. Mm -hmm. so, so I can definitely speak to the 2003 on, but that would be a longer, that would be longer than one sentence, <laughs> where prior to 2003 can be one sentence mm -hmm. <laughs> of, of there was definitely the sense of Kristen who was having all these experiences and with a sense of ownership and ego of building an experiential or a, a psychic skill set. So it was very, very different from the 2003 transition, you know, mm -hmm. where things happened differently. But, but yeah, there was no concept of awakening. There was no thought of enlightenment or that possibility being present I don't know, it just, it just was not on my radar. Just to kind of go at this a bit more to make sure that I and, and listeners completely understand, uh, would it be fair to say that um, although 2003 wasn't a kind of a complete ripening of what has transpired since, it was a kind of a milestone or a watershed event in which the, uh, the unfoldment of the, the kind of universal, again, to use that word, universal ground of being, began to take place. And the orientation, your orientation uh, began to shift from Kristen in the driver's seat to something far more vast in the driver's seat. But it just wasn't a, a night and day abrupt change. It was, but, that, but that you can kind of look back to that time as the point at which the, the tables began to turn. Would that be fair? I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but by saying something that can get you to kind of bring it out more and get it more clear, you know? Right, right. Part of my hesitation is mm -hmm. that to speak is that I see things in so much detail that when I start speaking in that level of complexity, I just lose people. I, in my experience so far, you yeah. know, so, so I'm just pausing in terms of how do I, how do I respond. And we have so, plenty of time to hash it out. So, you know, you can, you can try to say something. And if, I, if I'm feeling lost, I'll try to pin you down a little bit more. And we, hopefully we can stitch it all together in a way that people can appreciate. So my experience is there are different kind of levels of awakening and that there can be mental awakenings or heart awakenings, body awakenings, these different, these, that, that as consciousness awakens, there's a integration that happens through all these levels of being. And I would describe that now, looking back, that it was a certain aspect of mental awakening. There have been, since then, 
deeper, more expansive, more inclusive mental body awakenings. But it felt like that was an initial awakening on on some, you know, if, if I knew all the Tibetan Buddhism structures of things, or if I knew all the language, like I could probably tell you which which degree of whatever it was. But but it so it wasn't it wasn't this mind blowing awakening that like shattered or altered my reality. But at the time, not knowing the word awakening, that was the word I was using. I was sharing with friends like I had some sort of awakening. I don't know what happened, you know. Yeah. So it was definitely. The beginning and that was when all the, the my healing work totally changed and I started applying all that healing work to myself which I was present in that process for hours and hours each day and was bringing me through this whole process of just processing and releasing conditioning from this lifetime and other lifetimes which wasn't what was happening before that 2003 point so there's still a, a, a process that that continued but the um, focus of it and the intensity and the depth of it were entirely different and this experience of consciousness was continually altering during that whole process and years after that whereas before 2003 there wasn't so much an altering of, of consciousness well first of all I really like the point of multiple awakenings because you know a lot of times when people say well I had my awakening I, th I think well which one you know I mean there there obviously are going to continue to be degrees of awakening and at least if that's how we want to use the word and if we want to use it in some sort of ultimate sense fine fine maybe there's just one but maybe we should reserve the enlightenment enlightenment for that ultimate thing secondly you know what you're saying is also corroborated by other teachers and traditions like for instance Adyashanti talks about awakening in the head heart and gut as stages of awakening that he underwent I believe third well you could comment on the things I just said but also I'd be interested in hearing more about that process you went through for hours and hours a day after this thing began to happen you know you I think you mentioned you were lying in bed for like four hours a day going through all kinds of stuff so and it might be interesting for people and it might be of some value to you know have you describe that experience sure yeah I've spent so many hours of my life that way <laughs> and were you also uh, sick at this time I know you had multiple no. chemical sensitivity and then you had Lyme disease I mean was that all happening at the same time or this is no the chemical sensitivity was from I can't remember years I mean that was a seven-year thing that I went through and had completed just in time to get Lyme disease <laughs> so, <laughs> My body was serving well, you know, getting ready to deal with the next karmic uh, mm. lesson there. So um, I was more in the middle of Lyme disease, going to finishing Lyme disease when this happened. So it was still present in the in the process for sure. But I wasn't lying in bed at those times because I was sick and didn't have energy. It was just because the process was just compelling. Yeah, demanded your so, full attention. Right, right. And so what were so, you actually going through? My relationship with uh, spirit guides that was present before the 2003 was just remain remains, you know, to this day and that there's just 24/7 communication accessibility, like there's just that that presence and I it just feels like that's been the gift for me in this lifetime. So although I haven't had physical spiritual teachers I've had 24-7 intensive support in every single process 
you know, that's been happening. So in these experiences of lying in bed, guides would would come and I would just start reliving past life experiences and being present with all the the conditioning, all the thoughts and the emotions and imbalances and where they were caught in the body and being present with the releasing of them. So, I mean, that's what I was doing in my office with people, where that shift that wanted to happen, uh, this knowing of this deeper healing work needing to come forward, that was what started to come forward for my clients and then was what was happening with me much of the time. I would say, and, and I say these kinds of things just to sort of, I'm anticipating listener questions, the relevance of this is that we all have these deep impressions and they're not all from this lifetime and they have to be worked out and you know maybe it doesn't take a whole lifetime to work out all the impressions of a previous lifetime fortunately they can be worked out in you know maybe hours or days or something like that or, or minutes <laughs> or minutes but nonetheless they have to be worked out and you know one metaphor for that might be that you know if you have a small container and you dump some mud in it, you can't, it's hard to dissolve the mud. It muddies up all the water. But if you have a, a, a vast lake or an ocean, dump the same amount of mud in, it gets dissolved. So when the container of consciousness becomes larger, so to speak, then you, know, you can work out in minutes which might, something which might have taken a lifetime to accumulate, would you say? I think the way I sort of relate to it is that astrologically, we're at a really incredible point in creation and that the level of consciousness, the vibration is shifting so dramatically that what would have taken a really long time to unfold karmically is being graced and gifted with this opportunity for high speed transformation. Mm. So it just seems that these are the times that we're in, which is why people are having these awakening experiences all over the place and in all sorts of different ways. Do you think it's being accelerated for everybody, whether they like it or not, or whether they know it or not? Yeah, I feel like the vibrate. my experience is the vibration of the planet is changing. So there's this incredible opportunity and people are still all in their own individual experience. So how that relates to people is going to be different. I mean, there are some of my clients are going through rapid high-speed awakening and other people are dealing with their mother-in-laws <laughs> and, you know, finding childcare. And it's all equally beautiful. People are still in their own individual process, but I think those that are ready or available because of where they are in their own growth and evolution and where they are in terms of their own karmic templates, you know, that that it, it's different for each individual, but there's an opportunity that's present right now that's just kind of amazing. I've sometimes had the notion that if the whole planet's consciousness is shifting, which, you know, I believe it is also, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats, as the conservative economists say, <laughs> although it doesn't in the field of economics. So everyone's going to be subjected or exposed to this higher consciousness as it rises, couldn't that be experienced as rather difficult for people who haven't been sort of willingly or consciously developing their consciousness? In other words, if they're really kind of stuck in, in a kind of a lower consciousness way of being, as the planet awakens, would they experience a lot of um, catastrophe or trauma or you know, all kinds of rough stuff? I think where I want to go with that is the individual 
holding, you know, that if someone is holding really tightly, you know, while as you're saying as the tide is rising, it still is a gift having this higher, higher vibration come in and um, what one, how one individually responds to that is their own, their own free will in a way. I mean, there's, there's different levels that, that one could speak at. There's the individual experience, there's the collective consciousness of humanity, there's, you know, there's these different layers and I don't know if we'll get into dimensions or not we in better. this interview, okay? <laughs> but, but so it depends on what, what, what level we're speaking about, but all of us have had the experience, I'm imagining, of having a hard day and then someone who really loves you comes up and says, oh, how are you doing? And in the midst of that love and that just warmth, y you start crying, right? The thing that's been held suddenly breaks open. And we all have the opportunity to surrender in that breaking open or to continue to hold and shut down. Mm. So I feel like what you're talking about is people's choice and, and that the gift of this larger and larger embrace and vibration of universal truth consciousness coming forward in a strong way it, i mean it's a gift and people can respond and either allow themselves to feel or continue to hold on to their protections and and this actually kind of brings me to this part about the masculine and feminine or the mental body and the emotional body that there's been a experiential split so the sense of duality and that the healing is the unification of those and in order for that unification to happen all the feeling that has been tucked away has to be felt it, it has it has to be felt and it can be felt in a nanosecond you know or it can be felt in a long process and for me being in bed in this whole process in the mornings was feeling all these feelings and experiences from many lifetimes because they hadn't been fully felt and processed. There was that separation of the heart and the mind. And yeah, and with that, with that separation, I speak of myself and past lives can act in ways that are cruel because the feeling body isn't fully integrated. And so one can, you know, lead armies and kill people and um, all sorts of, hor you know, horrific things. And so for me to, part of that process was going through and experiencing every single thought and emotion that was in duality, where there was pain and suffering and, and feeling them to completion for them to come into harmony and resolve. And I also think that part of my experience has been because I'm doing this healing work with people, that it's been important for whatever reason, you know, for my system to be able to see that fine detail. So when I'm working with people, I'm also working at that fine detail w with other people. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, I was kind of reminded as you were speaking of Christ's statement on the cross, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. You know, the, the people who were doing that were just numb to what they were doing. And today, I mean, we have people doing horrible things to dolphins and uh, poachers in, in Africa, you know, and, and people, you know, I don't know, we, we, we know all the things. I don't want to muddy up the waters by itemizing all the horrible things that are happening, but it, it all kind of boils down to a, to, to a blindness or a numbness, doesn't it? And, and at some point, all that blind, numb behavior is going to have to be rectified or 
are kind of healed, which will probably, for those people, mean bringing that feeling what they should have felt when they were actually doing that stuff and then healing it. Um, I, I wouldn't use the word should mm -hmm. because it's all, it's all perfect. Yeah. And again, I can, only, I can only speak to my own experience. So I remember raping people. I remember being in a, you know, being a man in a culture where women were, they were like camels. I like, I, I remember that. And I, I mean, I can continue with this, this memory and sharing it, but I want to give an overarching perspective of the learning that's happening and that having these memories for me has given me incredible compassion. Whereas I wouldn't say, should like in that experience with the level of consciousness that was present in the culture that that the incarnation was happening in with the karmic experiences in the lives prior to the individuals i met the atrocities that happened from the people that i was meeting in that lifetime from the previous one and then seeing the choices that were made i have total understanding for how those choices happened mm -hmm. And, and the experience of the brutality, like I'm not, I'm not separate from that. I'm not separate from that. So even with all these atrocities that are happening on the planet, as, as we, we can't shift the darkness unless we meet it in ourselves and recognize that we're not separate from that and come into absolute wholeness and balance on the inside. And it's from there that then we respond differently to what we're perceiving in the world instead of contributing to it. If I'm judging those behaviors, I'm offering the vibration of judgment on the planet. You know, so that there's been a profound, profound unfolding on the inside of remembering both, you know, raping people and being raped. I mean, I'm, I'm picking something it's graphic and, you know, some of the horrible things that happen, you know, but, um, but knowing both sides of that, it's just, it's just been how this unfolding has been happening of needing to really be present with the absolute truth of, of all experience that's, that's happened here. That was a beautiful so. answer. Absolutely beautiful. Um, Oh, it. oh, hmm? let me add yeah, one thing. Go. One of the other things in all of these experiences, all these memories of lifetimes where um, just really painful imbalance was present, I was, I've seen how in each of those lives, the truth was still being sought. I had a life as a pirate. <laughs> so I remember being a pirate out in the ocean. And there was a profound connection with freedom and nature and the stars and navigating with the waves and the sky and the wood of the boat and the strength of the wood in relation to the power of the wind. I mean, there's like deep spiritual experience, you know, that was being sought in the midst of the blindness of stealing other people's money, <laughs> you know, like, like in that total blindness, 
you know, or, or lifetimes of confiscating land. Another lifetime as a, a warrior of, you know, not recognizing my own beauty. And so there is a desire to take beauty. So taking control of gorgeous land to somehow feel beauty because that sense of inner beauty was lost. And so in all of these lifetimes, there's the, the disconnect, you know, the, the forgetting the truth and then reaching for the truth. So that separation of still reaching for beauty, reaching for freedom, you know, reaching for these things. And again, in terms of my relating to people now who are making choices that might be easy to judge and see how much suffering is being created, I tend to notice what it is they're actually reaching for. Oh, that person is reaching for innocence. You know, they're actually violating innocence, but they're reaching for innocence. You know, so there's a, a way of perceiving everything in terms of its own suffering and how it's actively seeking the divine in ways that, that we can see is not the way it's actually going to work. <laughs> That's great. So would you say that if you could, we were to summarize that, would you say that everybody's doing the best they can and that there's a, the, the very same drive which motivates the spiritual person to seek enlightenment is motivating the pirate or the rapist or the, you know, Genghis Khan or whoever is, is doing things. It's just perhaps a much more immature expression of that uh, when a person is, you know, violating nature or other people in order to fulfill that drive. But nonetheless, it's the same fundamental yearning for uh, completeness within. Is that? Yeah. And I think maturity is a great, a great word. You know, that there's, there's a maturing that's happening and that the, each, each individual expressions experience of that maturing is different so not everybody leads an army and kills people <laughs> right you know like past lives don't necessarily mean that there's been what we would consider horrible things that have happened so when uh, when we think of particular historical injustices do you admire i imagine we do we all do uh, but you know we could take people like gandhi or martin luther king or nelson nelson mandela as examples of people who were up against huge injustices and somehow dealt with them in a way that was loving and that was not um, hateful or judgmental in the sense that you've just been, you know, suggesting is not constructive. I wouldn't say it's not constructive <laughs> in, in that, that there's still perfection happening as, as horrifying as the experience can be. Um, but in terms of when, when the human, even in the midst of the human condition, one accesses the deeper reality and that comes through, it's always, I mean, that's what we're all wanting. That's what we're all wanting. And, 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 you know, political figures that do that offer that on a larger arena for more people to see and, um, and have that be a reflection for themselves in terms of what's possible. And if, well, if that person can do that, what can I do? Mm. And so maybe if it's even only in relation to your neighbors, whereas, you know, you see someone picking on someone else, as opposed to not saying anything and thinking, oh, that's not my business. Maybe something arises 
you know, and you come over and offer a warm hello. Mm -hmm. How are you guys doing today? You know, or, you know what I mean? There's like, there's ways of when all of us open to this truth inside and recognize that we're not separate, the way we show up with each other in our individualness becomes different and becomes far more compassionate um, and present. I'm not sure I'm touching the essence of the point by using this example, but I just mentioned three men who approached uh, social injustice with a, a peaceful sort of a, a method and it proved to be very effective, but sometimes that's not always possible. I mean, we couldn't have sweet-talked Hitler out of doing what he was doing. It, it took a military response to stop him. So, I mean, you know, sometimes even physical violence is necessary perhaps to meet violence. I, I think each each situation has to be looked at individually because there's so much detail happening in the midst of any single moment. Mm. Getting back to your experience, um, mm. so you went through a period of, I don't know, years, I guess, maybe, where you were lying on the bed going, unwinding all this stuff. Um, did, it, did that just, uh, how long was that? And did that eventually just taper off and, and you felt like you'd cleared through most of it? There were some weeks I would just think, really? This is my life? I'm going to spend another 20 hours in bed this week, you know, in the mornings? So it was years. I don't know, maybe four or five, maybe? And there was a lot of that happening. And yes, it became less, it became Tapered much, off. yeah, yeah, much, much less. Uh, and then it would be surprising of, oh, you know, revisiting a life that I had thought was fully cleared and seeing, oh, look, there's this little, there's another little thread in there, you know? So, um, but yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely has, has tapered. So how far back did you go? I mean, were you going back thousands of years to Neanderthal lives and stuff like that? or I did have you... a Neanderthal life. Huh. <laughs> I did. And it's wild too, like experiencing the level of consciousness that was present, which is really different than where we are right now. Hmm. Uh, in terms of the karmic unraveling, most of it was human lifetimes. And I don't, I don't know where to go with this. I mean, my experience is remembering like multiple universes. So this universe that we're in isn't the first universe that there's, there's been multiple. And I don't know how far back but in terms of the memory that was happening, the memory went really far back. But in terms of the intensity of the karmic unraveling, that was all within human experience. And then some in between lifetimes where I wasn't human, I was just consciousness in between lifetimes. I don't want to get into too much detail. Yeah, yeah. It starts to get confusing. So. And some people say that, you know, all of this is actually happening now. It's simultaneous. Anita Morjani, for instance, who had this near-death experience, said that she experienced all of her other lifetimes, but they're actually happening now as it, because there's a, everything is happening now in just some other dimension of things. So, who knows? I, I, well, no, I would agree. I mean, yeah. and part of what happened in this... You had asked this yesterday in terms of different different benchmarks, and, and I didn't know how to answer because there have been thousands, you know, like there's realizations that just have not stopped. And that, that was one of them from the shift of feeling past lives in a linear form to actually experiencing everything simultaneously. Mm. Um, and um, which leads to also a whole other level when one is present in the awareness of, of creation 
and co-creating and transforming. And I experience evolution now in terms of a spiral, just a spiral of consciousness with all lifetimes uh, transforming and, and um, up this spiral of evolution all together. Hmm. So uh, like if I knew more physics, I mean, I can speak in physics terms to these different dimensions in, in different ways, but I, I experience all of these different levels of consciousness also as, as, as physics. Let's talk about levels and dimensions more. Let's dwell on that for a while. Uh, we can, we're both, you know, obviously not physicists, but we both have a little bit of grasp of layman's terminology of it, so it might be helpful, but you lead off and I'll, I'll ask some questions. What I'm looking for is sort of a, yeah. a kind of a, let's paint out a roadmap of there being different levels or dimensions or strata of creation which we can incorporate within our experience and what the significance of that is for uh, our whole spiritual development. Where I'd like to start is actually speaking about the, the seat of consciousness, the resting point of consciousness, and that psychic experiences for me in the past, that, that resting place of consciousness was the same, and all those spiritual experiences were experienced from that point and that in relation to the dimensions and awakening that that resting place of consciousness shifts into different dimensional vibrations different dimensional realities and and so that's how it's relevant for me in terms of awakening and that when the shift during my healing practice would awareness would shift from one dimension to another those each of those were benchmarks and realizing that reality had just changed so a minute ago when you first introduced the term resting point of consciousness my interpretation of it was just sort of the ground state simplest form of awareness you know pure pure consciousness rest, resting in that one begins to explore various strata but then you went on and i kind of got the implication you were you were saying that the resting point of consciousness itself shifts from level to level. You rest at different levels without there being a kind of a simultaneous resting in the foundation of all levels. Um, my experience after the 2003 marker was that my awareness started opening through each of the different dimensions and when it shifted to opening to a another dimension higher it would rest there and then have free access to fluidly move through all the ones below it and then would have awakening experiences to dimensions above it and then another shift would happen awareness would shift up to another dimension there would be free-flowing consciousness all the way through to the lower ones and then awakening experiences would happen with the ones above it until that integrated and then another shift would happen I see. so now that's much more you know. clear yeah, so I mean, if we use the example of school, you're in the first grade and, and you're pretty much mastering that stuff and maybe, every, maybe your brother's in the second grade, he shows you his textbooks and you kind of get a, a, an understanding of it, but you don't really grasp it fully until you're in the second grade and, and focus on that. And at that point, you can go back and review the first grade stuff anytime, it's a, it's a breeze. Now the third grade stuff is a little bit more, your brother's in the third grade now and that stuff right. is a little beyond you and you can get glimpses of it, but you don't fully master that until you get to the third grade. But when you've done so you can go back to the second and first grades easily and so right. the farther you go the more you can kind of move around in previous stages but there's always a kind of a breaking a leading edge or a horizon that, that you're kind of stepping into right and the only difference I would say is that as opposed to leaving one grade 
there's a simultaneous being present in all of them. Yeah, it becomes part of your repertoire, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. like an awareness. Awareness is, is present with that because everything's happening simultaneously anyway. It's all it's all present here. So it's just having conscious awareness through those different levels. Hmm. And so, <laughs> is there no end to it? I mean, is it level after level after level? And there's uh, n no end to the uh, breakthroughs and, and stages of exploration? Um, I, I have no idea. I mean, again, I can only speak from my experience. And there's a awareness of absolute nothing that everything is arising out of. And... Um, yeah, there's currently a transition that feels like is happening for me of awareness resting is nothing. And then and then all these different dimensions are kind of an exquisite, outrageous, vibrating manifesting of reality, all present at the same time. So, but even in the midst of that, there's there still are new things being realized so realizations haven't ended in my experience i don't think they ever do in anyone's experience they might sort of uh, go into pause mode for a while and people might think that that's the end of it but i think there's personally i think there's no end to it but um what i'm trying to get at and this is a little bit subtle is um and therefore harder to express, but do you feel that this nothing that you've referred to is kind of like the source and goal of it all? And um, regardless of how many levels you manage to explore, dimensions you manage to explore, um, ultimately those are kind of like icing on the cake and, and the, the gist of it, the essence of it, is that that nothingness you refer to, or some some traditions refer to it as a fullness, the sort of the ground state of, of reality, the being absolute, you know, sat chit ananda, whatever term you want to use, uh, and then having kind of become familiar with that, you're free to explore and play around and develop all kinds of different, you know, subtle levels of experience. Does does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I think. Unless you, n knowing that you're nothing <laughs> and knowing that you're made up, like may maybe that's what the ground, the ground is. And that, that resting is absolute nothing. The very sense of the experiencer is, is a divine game. It's, it's divinely made, it's divinely created so that, that the, um, this oneness is having an experience and through this individual expression. So, and one can wake up to being nothing and being oneness having an individual expression and experience at any point. So, it's not about all this multiplicity, like, yeah, in terms of, of, of that, that core that core truth it would make sense to me that core truth can wake up at any point or some or someone's sense of self can wake up to that core truth at any point on the journey and then exploring still happens because that's what oneness seems to be doing yeah 
I was raised spiritually on, on a certain model of seven states of consciousness, it was called. And let's just play with this for a second. And the idea was that, the, you know, waking, dreaming, sleeping, first three. Fourth state would be transcendence, you know, going, uh, settling the awareness down to samadhi or transcendence, pure consciousness. Fifth state would be stabilization of that, so it's maintained along with activity. It's the same pure consciousness, but uh, on, the, on the one hand, there can't be any activity going on. When it's stabilized, there can be all activity going on. Sixth state would be still established in that same pure consciousness as the fourth and fifth, but with refined perception having developed so that one has explored and this, you know, unfolded all sorts of a subtle appreciation for the, the subtleties of, of the relative expression. And then seventh state would be actually experiencing that the object of perception is made essentially of the same stuff as that pure consciousness. It is, they're one and the same, so it would be a state of unity. Um, so does, how does that model fit with um, your experience? I don't know how to respond It's a to very that. simplistic model, really. I'm sure there are tons of nuances well, and whatnot, but you know, does it, does it jibe at all? I don't know. I mean, my experience is seems much more fluid than that mm -hmm. like even with the mind awakening heart awakening body awakening that pattern has happened many times mm. and and each time that happens there's a thought of oh i'm done <laughs> mm -hmm. you know and it's not true you know there's just it just keeps happening and keeps happening and so all these different stages that you've mentioned I could relate to in the experience that happens here and yet there's there's just there's just an endlessness so it's been kind of looping present. through the around and round through yeah but each time the loop perhaps is deeper or more yeah. nuanced or something yeah <clears throat> that sounds good and you think that after a while you wouldn't be falling for the I'm done line, you'd think, I'm not even going to go there because I know I'm not. Oh, yeah, that's right. That I'm done line is not present or relevant. Yeah. What was it? Yogi Berra said it ain't over till the fat lady sings. <laughs> so let's go into some more detail then about, um, you know, we, we went through this whole lying on the bed for four or five years, processing the past lives, and then that kind of tapered off. And... Uh, but that would only bring us up to about mm, 2008 or 9 or something. Um, what's been going on since then now that it's tapered off? What, what ground are you breaking or, you know? Well, after that, and, and again, the series of things is a little fuzzy for me. I don't quite yeah. remember all that. And linear time. sequence isn't really that important. I'm just using it as a way of kind of eliciting information from you. Right. And also say time, time fell away. So like this, like time just... It's just hard to reference time. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but there was a, a stage of kind of meeting these different aspects of consciousness that were part of functioning that weren't um, weren't unique, that weren't in, that weren't uh, yeah, that weren't unique or, or individual. So accessing the substance of will or the nature of seeking or the nature of purpose. There were others, but these things that, that, that move us or compel us, hmm. you know, of like needing to have a purpose and that the same way the sense of self is made up, a sense of purpose is made up. You know, that everything that we 
latch on to with some sense of <laughs> identity or rightness or conviction or something that you can hold on to, it's all made up. So there was, a, no, there was another whole phase of meeting all these aspects of the functioning of existence that were then seen and surrendered into. Mm. So let me try to rephrase that to make sure I understand it. So in other words, will or the other things you mentioned, which you had sort of taken for granted and were second nature, you began to deconstruct them or kind of go deeply into what they actually are and your, your lifelong conviction as to what they were dissolved and, and you had a whole different orientation to what was actually going on. Is that a fair way of restating what you just said? Yeah, yeah, and I would add, it's like, there are like these structures, there are these energetic structures that are the scaffolding for experience to happen. And attention started to go towards each of those structures and see that it wasn't just the experience that made, was made up, it was the structures of the experiencer that were also made up. And as those, so as those structures were disassembled, what did that do to your life, to your experience? It just feels like a deepening into nothing, a deepening into not holding and experiencing life without holding anything. Mm. Not even, not even, not even purpose or like all these things that seem important then become irrelevant, you know, that in the manifest there's duality, there's, there's a doer and a haver or an, ex, you know, and that as everything surrenders, it's surrendering to something that is beyond any pair, any duality. That might not sound too alluring to some people, deepening into nothing, letting go of everything that you hold important you know people might be thinking well what about my children you know what about my profession i, I love these things um, so but i'm sure that if they were to experience what you're describing they would think oh this is better <laughs> uh it's not I'm, i haven't lost something i've gained something so to speak uh, am i right and and what was your experience with that did you feel like you were kind of was there any sort of um, pinch as, as certain things that you held dear were let go of? Or was, the, was it always met with uh, a sense of joy and, and you know, uh, curiosity? There was a really deep trust that was already present initially, you know, in my, my life, but as this process you know in my bed you know of like meeting all these horrific things and then working with clients and seeing one identified experience after another always dissolving into something more exquisite there was a, a deeper trust that if anything had form there was a deeper truth so feeling the sense of purpose and feeling the subtle structures that went with it there was an awareness of it being form, and so there was a deeper truth. Mm. So that's just what has been happening here 
and there's been a desire for a deeper truth, it doesn't mean that anything is better than anything else. Like the the divine is divine, <laughs> no matter what, you know. But deeper um, deeper truth is somehow desirable if one is seeking truth and w wanting to. You know, it, it seems to be the evolutionary direction to proceed to deeper and deeper truth. So I don't know. The word "better" is a little bit, yeah, limited. But um, right. but still, that's that's been the traje trajectory of your life to you know move into deeper and deeper levels of truth. So there's a there's a, a freedom that comes, um, and there's a my experience is then a, a radiance that comes. So I find myself in situations and, my, and the response is just really different than it was years ago where I'm just totally loving whatever is happening. Mm -hmm. You know, or even the recording yeah, I yesterday, was that. <laughs> you know, you called me up and said the recording, you know, didn't happen. And I know, great. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Get to do, do this do again. Yeah. Right, what, what, you know, just being with the perfection of all of it. So... Um, and I must say, I think today's interview is going a lot better than yesterday's did, so it, <laughs> it had, a, had its value. So that's, you know, in terms of well, what's the value of being nothing? I mean, when the, when the nothingness is present and you're not holding out anything, you just are everything. And I don't know if this was today or yesterday, you had mentioned something about drinking the nectar in all places. Oh, yes, the you enlightened know? being uh, drinks... Um, on infinite nectar from every particle of creation, something like that. So in that full surrendering, finding deeper and deeper layers where there's identification that's not personal, there's still structures that are have some identity. And in that dissolving through, they still exist and functioning still happens, at least has in my experience. But there's a freedom and what comes through is more infinite universal truth of love and presence and kindness and joy and compassion that's just been what's been happening nice i sometimes get the sense in my own experience that that which kind of keeps me locked in structures to use the terminology we're using right now it's it's sticky it's kind of like plaque on your teeth you know you, you can't really get it all off with a toothbrush you have to go to the dentist every now and then or something to really get off the tenacious stuff it doesn't seem possible that a person could just, in a moment, relinquish and dissolve all binding influences, all structures. It, they, they seem to have to go in stages, as you're describing in, in your own experience. Go ahead. I think it's possible in, in all ways. I mean, some people have that experience of that all the, the conditioning just lets go. Mm. And I can see the planes in the dimensions where all the stickiness, as you say, is present. And it is possible to have a shift and have that all let go. That hasn't been what my experience has been, and that's not what's happening for um, most people. Most most people. Yeah, it's a rare exception. And when it does happen, usually people are so blown away that they become non-functional for quite a while. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I've had people get in touch with me actually who for, said for six months they couldn't speak. You know, they could hardly do anything. They, Llewellyn Von Lee had a profound awakening and he basically had to just have his mother take care of him for six months and he eventually grounded himself by reading the complete works of Charles Dickens. <laughs> yeah, so sometimes these profound lettings go are, are abrupt and, and radical. Even then I'm, I'm sure there's probably going to be more, but at least a huge chunk gets released, you know. 
but for most people, in case, in case someone listening thinks they're not getting it because it seems to be so incremental, for most people it is incremental, you know, bit by bit by bit. Let's come back again to dimensions. We've alluded to dimensions a number of times, and, and the image always comes to mind when you say that of, you know, like layers of water in a pond or something, like strata, like in the Grand Canyon, you see all these strata going back, you know, millions of years. And um, your experience has been one of uh, increasing familiarity with all these subtle strata over time, as, as well, we've, you've described the process. What have you discovered on these different layers or dimensions? You know, what, what are they? What's there? Well, that's a huge, it's a huge question. Let's take a big um, chunk of time on it. Yeah. Well, it feels simpler to organize it through, um, through the healing sessions. Mm -hmm. You know, where in the beginning, one of the initial shifts was seeing that thoughts and emotions were substance. And that as a massage therapist and doing Chinese medicine and, you know, shiatsu and working with meridians, I was already present with the energy and meridians and how those could move and transform. So discovering that, that thoughts and emotions were substance and realizing they could move the same way energy could move through a meridian was, was shocking and amazing. Like, like the level of healing that could come was was exciting to me, you know, at that time of, um, and so I started seeing, you know, these pictures coming out of people's bodies and seeing their situations that had happened when they were young in this lifetime and where things got caught in the body and being present with each of those and um, supporting the releasing of those. And it started out with you know, mostly current lifetime with people until I got comfortable with the process and had like I said yesterday, like 99.9% validation. And so I was trusting the process. And then I started seeing little pictures come out behind those pictures with a little gold thread and then seeing past life material and doing the same kind of release work with people. And so I would get to see the impact of that in their current experience and seeing the relevancy of, of the releasing. And so all of that, there was still, when I, it was, it was a resting point in a particular place in my consciousness. But I started to see the different dimensions from there. After that, I started working with uh, multiple lifetimes at a time and seeing like 15 lifetimes working on a particular issue with somebody and could clear that whole thing. So again, there's still the vantage point was in the same place and perceiving at the, the soul level. Are you wanting to say something or should I keep... I'm always thinking as you're talking, but um, oh, well, I'll just throw it. So far, your answer has been in terms of... When, the answer to the question of dimensions has been in terms of lifetimes. And the question comes to mind, well, where is all this information stored? Is it stored in the nervous system? Is it stored in some kind of Akashic record or subtle body, jiva kind of thing, or all of the above, or whatever? There's much more to unfold here, but that's the question that's come up so far. That's, that's great. Um, so when I was working in those ways, I was working with different dimensions and working with the, the mental dimension or the mental body, the emotional body, uh, the physical body, the etheric body, and being present with the relationship between all of those. And that the illusion that people refer to, the illusion of our stories that are so believable, is the weaving of, or the convergence of 
those different dimensional um, realities. So we have a thought, the dog is going to bite me, <laughs> and there's an emotional response maybe of fear, and then the body responds to the thought and the emotion and produces adrenaline to run or <laughs> whatever. So the illusion, you know, or the this divine experience happens from the weaving of all of these. And when we get identified with any of it, the way that I was experiencing it was the identification itself creates a certain level of substance. So when I was doing the healing work, I was supporting the dissolving of the identification, which dissolves the substance. So in terms of the soul being covered in clouds or something for the divine light not being able to break through, the work is about dissolving those those substantial clouds of misperception or of identified experience. And by being present with them as different dimensions, I was able to meet the details more fully and support that resolving. So in terms of where is it stored, my experience is the soul contains the information of the mental, um, emotional, etheric, physical, like it stores that information of all the lifetimes. But there's also the, the physical body is storing things as well. So when the clearing is happening, there can be releasing happening through the mental, it has to release through all of them. You know, it has to release through all of them. And in terms of the larger perspective of awakening, the mental awakening, heart awakening, or, you know, body awakening is all of those aspects coming into full resolution and letting go of, of all stories. I interviewed a guy a couple weeks ago, I think you watched the interview, and he talked a lot about identification also. And I didn't question him as much on it as I would like to have done. Uh, but my understanding of identification is sort of like best explained by the movie screen analogy where um, you know, you're watching the movie and the m movie being projected on the screen overshadows the screen so you don't realize the screen is there. All you see are the moving images of the movie. So my understanding of, of identification has been something like that, that you know, your mechanics of perception overshadows the perceiver, over overshadows the pure consciousness or the pure self. And in doing so, it creates impressions as you have experiences, and those impressions get stored and you know set up a, a kind of a, a action desire uh, cycle and it kind of bind you. And that the unwinding of identification has to do with enlivening the, the screen, so to speak, enlivening pure consciousness, and, and thereby enabling it to shine in its sort of integrity. Uh, even when being impacted by experience. That's, that's been my understanding of the word identification. And so when you use, use the word, I just want to make sure that I understand how you're using it and whether I'm you know, misinterpreting based upon my understanding. No, I, I think, that's, I think that, that works. Uh, my, there's been part of the way this process has happened for me is, is discovering everything as having form and that if it has form, it's not the ultimate truth. And, and by everything, you don't just mean, you know, concrete things, but you mean subtle things. Um, everything oh, has some kind of subtle form. Yeah. Thoughts, yeah. emotions, and the sense of self, the, mm -hmm. the, the experience of I am. And when you say they have form, 
do you mean that they have some actual physical structure, however subtle? There's actually that, some structure to them. That's my experience. And what is that structure made of? A thought, for instance. What, what, what are its, what, what, what is its chemical analysis? <laughs> um, astral substance or something? Well, each of the astral substance and the astral body, you know, mental mm -hmm. substance and the mental body. I mean, each of the different dimensions have different physics to them, and the rules are different, and the functions are different. So everything's been coming back to form and function and experience and expression. So in terms of identification, it seems to me there's there's a certain substance to... Um, well, in, in relation to the identification, that working with people that I've been seeing the substance that's created through identification. And that when that is met with the presence of truth, the story lets go, what's been held dissolves and identification releases. Hmm. Um, and there was a whole unfolding that happened for me of having all the story identification start to dissolve. And then that next layer was finding the substance of the experiencer so not just the experience, but then discovering the experiencer itself was made similarly in that there was subtle substance in order for experience to happen. Mm -hmm. Like the will has subtle substance in order for there to be an experience of will and that the sense of self has some substance in order to have the integrity of an experience and that all of it is made up and all of it dissolves back into absolute nothing. And the difference that I've found is that the experience is what dissolves and doesn't return once you let go of it. So working with people with past life stuff, once it dissolves, it's dissolved, it's done. And if, that, you've got, if you've dissolved it all of a particular thing. I mean, you might get 50% of it and then you're going to have to have another session or something. Right? Sure, but that 50% is actually dissolved. Right. right. Yeah. So, um, whereas so far in my experience in meeting the structures of the experiencer, that identification dissolves, but the structure remains. Is that good? I, I mean, I uh, in other words... It seems necessary for functioning to happen. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I mean, yeah. that um, it's kind of like there's a there's a necessary structure in order for, as you say, for functioning to happen, but it gets encumbered or colored over by all sorts of identification, which really isn't necessary or helpful, right? Or it's just that it, it feels like it's part of the process of consciousness playing with itself mm -hmm. in this experience of maturing and evolution. Right. Well put. So... Um, in your own case, would you say that you have completely purged all vestiges of identification or is it still an ongoing process? And the second part of that question is whether or not you've experienced this yet, what would you imagine a person who, is it possible to be completely rid of all identification? Um, and if so, what would life be like under that circumstance? Well, again, I, I can only speak from my own experience, so I have I have no idea. And there's 
there's not a sense of being done in that there's just an infinite it just keeps just deeper and deeper i sort of mentioned this yesterday and it's hard for me to speak about but like experiencing the subtle substances all as consciousness and not being separate from that so my experience is just that there's a continual there's a continual deepening and a continual discovery and it it feels like there can be the experience of of knowing oneself as as nothing and that the the structures of the self identification with the structures of the self dissolve and let go to the awakeness of nothing than having all those experiences but the experiences don't end yeah but i think what you just said was the experiences don't end but through the unwinding or elimination of identification you begin to appreciate the experiences in terms of consciousness i think you just said that knowing yourself as that am i right so far because there's more to say but have i got that right so far i think so okay <laughs> and then the more is would it not therefore follow that when all identification and again i don't want to cast you into too much speculation because you like to speak from your experience but in terms of what you're saying wouldn't it make sense that if all identification has been eliminated that everything is appreciated in terms of consciousness one knows oneself uh, in, in, in apprehending any experience a horse a car a wall a person one is seeing oneself uh, you know apparently manifest as that thing but essentially it's all oneself one grand unity I'm lost. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> I'm sure you're not. <laughs> and, I, and I'm speaking speculatively based upon things I've learned and been taught and, and so on. I'm just trying to see where we, how far we can go with this. So, just again from my own experience, there's, there's just, just this continual deepening. There are still ahas happening. Yeah. You know, there still is an aha of experiencing i don't know if i can be more specific it's just that all substance has its own consciousness and there's a union that's happening between all aspects of existence to to even have an experience and that even that awareness for me rests as nothing but the subtleties of how existence is even possible become more and more refined and more clear and re realizations or ahas continue to happen at deeper and subtler levels. Great. And I really appreciate the f and I respect the fact that you won't let me lead you into speculation about what it might be like at such and such a time. You're just speaking from your direct experience, which I think is great. Because I have no idea. Yeah, you don't. And that's totally <laughs> honest. And, and I do a lot of that. I do a lot of speculation about, you know, what, what might such and such a state of development might be like. And, you know, that it's beyond my direct experience. And I really honor the fact that you're not doing that here. <laughs> well, I, I just feel like I can't. Like I, yeah, right. 
So, back to the dimensions. So, so far we've talked about dimensions and we've talked about, you know, past lives in that context and we've talked about, you know, sort of mind, heart, subtle levels of um, the structure of our being in that context. But there's more to it, as we both know. Um, there's the whole consideration of beings who dwell on these various levels of creation uh, that are not necessarily perceivable if our perception is restricted to just the gross level and that the that you know we've that these beings may be as numerous if not more so as the beings we see on the gross level and that you've had a lot of experiences with those things um, so let's talk about that a little bit and also you know, why it's significant and why it's something that, you know, others may eventually encounter in, in their spiritual unfoldment and why it is therefore relevant. I feel like there's a lot more we could say about the dimensions before shifting to other beings and dimensions, but... Okay, no, let's do. It, yeah, please. But I, but I can speak to it just a little bit okay. because I feel like the larger topic is the dimensions that, you know, these the beings that I'm present with are present in all in different dimensions and and that people can have access that the veils there don't have to be veils in between all of these dimensions because it feels like to me that's the shifting that's happening a lot of people are are waking on the planet but there's also a dissolving of those veils and that the access that i have through these dimensions is totally teachable it's completely huh. teachable it's not it's not like a gift that someone just gets to have, you know, and other people don't get that gift. We can all do this and the same way one person might be a better carpenter than they are a piano player. Yeah, someone might be better at seeing through dimensions than someone else, but we still all have the same skill set. So it's not it's not limited to a, it doesn't have to be limited to a few people. Yeah, so I guess the question would be, well, why is that useful? And like I uh... I've mentioned in another interview, a friend of mine who sees subtle beings all the time, um, I was once asking him about them in a very specific incident, you know, are there any in this elevator? And, you know, and he just kind of smiled and a few minutes later he said, they just told me, don't point us out to people specifically. If they're meant to see us, they'll see us. And so meant to kind of implies that maybe not everyone is meant to see them and those veils are there for a reason and, and maybe your focus shouldn't be on removing veils but more on culturing the worthiness or the the spiritual capacity to spontaneously have such experiences if and when they become appropriate rather than seeking them specifically oh sure i'm not i'm not encouraging seeking any of that i'm just saying it's not some specialty thing like that we're all we're all human beings, and mm -hmm. we're all made to have this capacity. Is what I'm trying we're to all, say. We're all, yeah. we all have the equipment, if, even if we haven't developed it. In other words, yeah, we, we have the, yeah, we have the capacity to have that range of experience. Right. Well, and when I'm teaching, I'm also ending up pointing out to people how they're actually already doing it. Like people are actually using these skills all the time, and don't recognize it. And so by pointing out times when that's been happening for people in just basic day-to-day -day life, people start to recognize, oh, right, that perceptual experience is not limited to physical reality. And it starts to open people to recognizing what they are. So I'm not interested in having people seek that to have a cool skill set. I'm interested in supporting people waking up, 
because the more people that wake up, the better off the planet's going to be. <laughs> you know, there's this massive shifting that's happening. So my interest is in when you start to realize that your perception is not actually limited to your physical form and your body and physical reality, but is actually already happening in a multidimensional way, people's identification starts to crack. Mm. They start to realize, oh, wait a minute, that's actually true. That's happening. I know that experience. And then things can start shifting. Mm. So for me, if, if it's appropriate to be offering that to somebody and you know pointing that out with someone that's that's the reason why is that it supports people waking up not as a distraction to start looking in different dimensions it's not about that at all for me and you feel no, that for some people it wouldn't be appropriate for some people it might be premature or it might be a distraction or you know an infatuation for, that they shouldn't go there right now sure yeah. sure but that's that's true with anything mm -hmm. you know it's true with anything and and the other reason that the communicating with guides can be really useful in the right situations is i haven't had a spiritual teacher and I have been, as I said earlier, have had 24-7 contact and correction and pointing things out and realigning and because of that level of communication. So I'm connected in that way and support that multidimensional functioning purely for the purpose of supporting awakening. Just to take a little side loop here, you've mentioned 24-7 a number of times. Um, <laughs> what's, what's going on while you're sleeping? As far as my guides, sometimes I'm present with my guides when I'm sleeping, but not necessarily. I'm present in the different dimensions and aware of the different subtle bodies. Your own? My own, and then I'll also often do healing work. So I'm aware of the experience of being present in different dimensions and having different experiences, but there's still a sustained awareness through the different kinds of dreaming, you know, or, or, or dreaming. Or even, even dreamless has. sleep. I don't know. I mean, my experience is almost like taking off clothes or something like taking off identity and dissolving as nothing. So it's not that there's memory there. So I, I can't speak to that. Yeah. But there, well, there's no faculty awake at that time, which would say, hey, isn't, right. isn't this cool? I'm deeply asleep and yet I'm awake. But is it perhaps there's right. something on coming out of it where there's some, recoll some recollection or appreciation of the continuance of awareness even during that deepest sleep, maybe? It's funny to try and find language for. I don't know. It's like similar, like the first time that there was an experience of recognizing I am and then having I am dissolve or be obliterated and then reappear, you know, that sense of reappearing after having not existed. <laughs> I, don't, I don't I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how to answer. All right. No, so you took a good shot at it. So you were saying a few minutes ago that you, you really wanted to kind of lay a better foundation for this whole dimensions can talk before we t talked anything about beings. And, and have we done justice to that or did we get sidetracked? No, there, there's more that I would share. You know, and I mentioned this yesterday, but in terms of like the particle and particle and wave and that I experience the sense of self through the different dimensions as having a, a different vibrational frequency in each of the dimensions and that each dimensional body, let me just, let me just try and start over again here. So my experience is we're all nothing, totally nothing. And there's an appearance, an emergence of I am. And then there's other subtle expressions that are still universal. There's no individuation. 
I kind of want to speak to it as I move through it to because it'll it'll offer it energetically to you at the same time as as with my words. So I want to jump from nothing to the I am that has an individual radiance. I am is infinite. There's no individuation. And in an individual radiance, there's a frequency. And I would refer to that frequency as substance. It can be felt, it can be seen. And that frequency, the light of each of us, is much closer to what we are than our... <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm just having a hard time with words here. Much closer to what we are than our superficial expression or appearance. Right, or our, our egoic self, what, right. we, what we think we are. And each of these frequencies becomes less and less subtle all the way down through the dimensions down into physical form. Mm -hmm. I don't know where I'm going here. <laughs> well, just, let me help you out. Um, I didn't just, want to interrupt well, you, but I... No, no, it's, I mean, it's good because I, I, want, I want to speak from this. I mean, what's present is absolute nothing, holding nothing, and then also being this radiance of being. So in terms of the value of letting go, individuality still happens. So there still is this individual experience of this radiating divine truth. And the dimensions, one doesn't have to open up through all these different layers to open up to that truth of themselves. That might come later. As we go through this, it's not that anything is more valuable than anything else. It's just that existence is vast. It's just vast and, and it's exquisite. And it just makes sense to me that consciousness continues to experience itself either in small ways or large ways and that each is each is exquisite like a profoundly enlightened being can decide to come in and experience a life that's just living in a hut <laughs> you know because it feels good mm. but the part that i wanted to speak to before i was dissolving <laughs> here you know um is about the frequency and experiencing the wave and the particle and that it seems to me that particle nature happens to have the individual experience. Mm -hmm. And that when identification happens with that particle, that's when we get stuck in ourselves. And that for me, opening through all these different layers is each dimensional body that seems to have its own container shifts from being a particle existence to a wave existence. And then I feel the frequencies all the way through the dimensions, all the way down through to the body. And I don't know if I mentioned this today or yesterday, but about the body being conscious and everything having its own sense of self and that a sense of self is not a bad thing. A sense of self is a necessary structure of functioning for consciousness to experience itself. So it's not that the sense of self disappears and doesn't exist as function. Like the individual cells in your body, each has to know itself as an individual cell to be able to function properly, you know? And then the liver has to know itself as a grouping of liver cells to know itself as a liver and function as a liver. And your whole body has to know itself as one body to be able to function. And so it's the same, it's the same way. And that each of the dimensions are similar to the way that I'm describing the body in that there are more and more inclusive 
aspects of consciousness that are necessary for functioning to happen. And that awakening can wake up to infinite, absolute nothing without having had to have the experience of awareness through all those dimensions. Beautifully so, put. Yeah, keep going if you want. I was, okay, okay. I mean, if you have more. Sure. I mean, I can talk about this a, a long time. <laughs> well, the, the, other, the other thing that seems useful to share is that that dance between the individual experience and oneness, that in each of these dimensions, this sense of self is the container for having an individual experience. Mm -hmm. So it's more clear in physical reality. Your physical body is different than someone else's. It's not okay to punch somebody, you know. Our emotional sense of self can get trickier for people, right? We can feel our own emotions, but sometimes we feel other people's emotions. And sometimes people talk about psychic sponges or, you know, that kind mm -hmm. of language. So there's a learning, a discerning of the difference between the sense of self and other. And it happens through each of the different dimensions. Dreaming in dream state, if you're confused between your dreaming and someone else's dreaming, it can get messy. So that this sense of self, this container, that particle nature is essential. And that as consciousness matures, that that particle sense can open itself up to the wave and still know itself and be present with other waves and not get confused. So like a C note in the same room as an A note vibrating, that they don't get confused with each other, they still know themselves. So as awareness wakes up to itself as that wave, there's a greater maturing that's present for that, that process to be happening. Each of those containers, again, are necessary for that individual experience within the dimension, but the whole dimension itself is one plane of consciousness. And so when that dissolves and there's openness, then there's access through that whole dimension. So doing the healing work, having access to people's thoughts and emotions, their soul body, is because awareness here knows itself both as the particle and as the wave and then opens to the whole dimension and has access to that level of consciousness, but knows itself still in its distinct individual nature. And this actually answers a question about how the healing work happens. Because my system knows itself through these frequencies and further up through into nothing truth, at these other levels, the awareness that's present here is then shared through those dimensions with the awareness of the person that I'm working with. And so the understanding of how all those dimensions function and how consciousness can tell a story and get identified and then let go of its identification, because consciousness knows how to do that here, that becomes available to other people through their own system to then have access and integrate. I think I'm, I think I'm, I'm done. <laughs> that was but, great. Really good. A lot, of, a lot of thoughts came up as you were speaking, but mainly I was just appreciating it. One thing is, you, you said a little while ago that as the nothingness begins to arise into, you know, more manifest creation, um, at certain stages of its arising, it's still universal. And uh, I was reminded in, in physics, you know, you have kind of the, the ground state, unifi unified field, but then when it begins to manifest, you still initially have just fields, force and matter fields, gravitation, electromagnetism, and so yeah, on. Yeah. And those aren't isolated, you know, they're, those are universal fields, even though they're manifest. 
and right. and then as manifestation proceeds, that then it begins to get more and more specific, and uh, you know what that that has a corollary. I mean that actually pertains to our individual structures, uh, you know, right down to our essence. We begin to. I don't know if we want to speak in terms of force and matter fields, but the deeper you go, the more universal you become, you know. At your deepest, well, you said it much better than I. It's just that a, kind of a, ultimately, essentially, we're all one, not only in an unmanifest sense, but even to some extent in manifest, in manifest senses. And what you're just describing about your healing process, it sounds to me like you're saying that, you know, you sort of rise or sink, whichever metaphor you want to use, you, you settle to the level at which you and the client, you and the patient are unified, and then you can facilitate real healing because there's no, no separation anymore. I, I don't settle to where, where unifi- the way you're describing it isn't, isn't what happens. I'm present through all these levels at the same time. Uh-huh and present with that person in all those levels at the same time through their individual trajectory yeah and and then see where consciousness is awake where it knows itself where it's um words are really tricky where it's stuck um, or not awake uh where it's resting the uh, resting point the yeah. resting point of consciousness for that that individual experience and present with where the sticky points are yeah well, that's actually much better than what I was trying to say, obviously, because it's your experience, but also because, you know, where I was, I was sort of thinking of the elevator going from floor to floor and checking out what's on this floor. But what you're saying is, you know, the whole building is there simultaneously. And, uh, you know, you're, you're kind, you're attuned to all levels from, the, from the most manifest to the unmanifest. And therefore you can just sort of do whatever needs to be done at, at whatever level. I, again, I, I put it so much more crudely than you do, but uh, I'm trying to translate my understanding of what you're saying to make sure I've got it. Right. I mean, I could work with that analogy mm-hmm. a little bit of like if I'm on the, uh, my elevator, I'm on all floors at the same time. Mm-hmm. The other person has their elevator with all the same floors mm-hmm. and their awareness is, is down in this elevator you know, or down on the third floor. And I'm, I'm connecting with them on all these different elevator levels and seeing, oh, it would be helpful for them to access their awareness on this floor. Mm. So there's a, there's a supporting for access on that floor, you know, or there's a whole lot of skill set happening for me on this floor that let's resonate on those floors together and I'm going to help. I is not a great word, <laughs> um, but there's a supporting of the resolving of the stuff. So it's the skill set that's present here becomes available to the, the individual, both for dissolving what wants to be dissolved and helping gain access to different floors on the elevator, mm-hmm. um, as well as sometimes there's actually creating of energetic bodies, like if a, the body isn't actually really well defined, you know, there's a, sometimes there's a developing that happens or, or an, an evolution, a growing, you know, growth that, that happens too. It feels like it's another big topic to talk about the details of in a session. So I'm kind of glossing over it sloppily, but. Yeah, that's okay. But one question I do have is while you're experiencing yeah. all this, what do your clients tend to be experiencing? Do they have, 
any idea what's going on or, or what is their subjective experience? Yeah, um, it really depends on the client. I mean, I had one client who came for, I don't know, came weekly for a few years and never felt the thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and and then his, but his whole life changed. His whole life, his just his entire life changed. So he knew that something was happening, even though he couldn't feel anything. That's the extreme on one end, which is rare. I mean, I can think of him because that's the only person. But most people are feeling what's going on. Some people are just present right there with feeling the experience in themselves of what's dissolving. They'll feel things releasing from their body or from different subtle bodies. We'll be present with the consciousness shifting that's happening. We'll have just breakthroughs. I mean, there's the sessions tend to be pretty dynamic and impactful. Hmm. They're, they're totally fun. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's kind of true of spiritual practice in general. There's some people who are, you know, really aware of what's happening and the various changes, and they have a lot of experiences. And other people, they'll go on for years saying, oh, I don't think anything's going on. But then they'll realize after a while that a whole lot has shifted, you know. So it just seems to be based on how you're wired. Kind of like, you know, train can be going through a tunnel and you don't have any sense of progress, but then you come out the other end and you're in a whole different place. Right. And, and most people that are drawn to my work are pretty sensitive people who are far along the path. So usually their sessions are highly experiential and, and dynamic in terms of the process that's happening and the dissolving that's going on. Are most of the people you work with there in the Massachusetts area or what percentage are and aren't? Yeah, mostly. I mean, I used to work much more in my office and I've been doing a lot more phone sessions. So it's maybe three quarters is phone session. So not everybody is is in Massachusetts for sure. Mm -hmm. Most aren't. Yeah. So more more than more than half. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, is there any reduction in efficacy if a person is just on the phone, or do you feel like it really doesn't matter where they are, where you I are? Yeah, I actually shifted my office sessions to reflect the phone sessions because mm -hmm. the phone sessions were stronger. <laughs> really? Yeah. Because I used to do the work with doing hands-on work, um, mm -hmm. and the work was much more effective if I just dropped in to these deeper, subtle realities and, and worked from there. So in the beginning, the phone sessions were much stronger, um, and now there's greater capacity for me to be present in physical with physical attention in through all these layers at the same time so the office sessions have changed where I do do hands-on work now again supporting all the physical changes that happen for people through awakening and I mean there's no separation the whole body is it's just this manifested truth of what's happening in consciousness so sometimes things can get stuck in the body not not because there's a particular identified experience, but because physicality has held itself in a particular way for so many years. So the fascia or the bone or, you know, something needs some actual physical support to help that move. My whole brain chemistry and physical body and posture, everything is just entirely different than it was. And it's just been kind of blowing open <laughs> as you know, with everything else. So that's the benefit of doing the office work is being able to have hands-on access. But again, I shifted in the beginning <laughs> to, to not have my hands on people because the phone work was stronger. If you're doing phone work, do, is it like advised that the person be kind of lying down quiet and they've got you on speakerphone or something? Or could they just be sitting at their desk or 
even driving in their car doing something more active, or is it really best if they be in a sort of receptive, settled condition? Uh, I've done it always. So, like, depending on what someone's really working with, being in the deeper, quiet, subtle, you know, find a place, close the door, you know, is definitely conducive. Um, but there are also people who I work with where we're actually more in um, dialogue and present with the subtle shiftings through the mental body. And then that's where all the shifting is happening to make the other shifts. And so, you know, I've had people be on the phone on the, you know, in the car, huh. <laughs> you know, working. Um, and I also will work remotely when people aren't on the phone. I like doing it on the phone better because there's certain insights that come that feels useful for the intellect to actually have access to, um, but the work still can happen without that one-on-one -on -one communication. Yeah. Just for, for those who are listening, I, some, an old friend of mine who has an ability somewhat similar to this, whom I've interviewed is Eric Eisen, if you want to check that interview out, but he's been doing a thing for years where he'll be um, talking to people all over the world. and he says he can actually sort of see what's happening in their bodies with different organs and different chakras and all this kind of stuff and you know then he, he he's mainly into prescribing herbs and everything for various conditions but he says it really doesn't matter where they are they don't need to be he doesn't need to be in the room and feel their pulse or anything like that it doesn't matter yeah i mean i can see all that stuff from right anywhere yeah it's, yeah. The, it's the same thing i mean it's all just for me it's just been high technicolor i mean it's just like really really clear must be kind of interesting it's definitely wild it's not what i thought you know i mean like i said but when i was doing shiatsu i just had this feeling something entirely different wanted to happen and so that's that's what this is it's just entirely different so in a previous conversation you mentioned that you had actually been in between lives some sort of subtle being that had actually been doing some kind of work or you know, interceding on behalf of human beings or something, and, and now you're doing it in, in a human body. It was kind of an interesting thing to have said. I mean, you want to talk about that a little bit, or is, is it...? Sure. And it's, it's just memory, you know? So again, mm. like, all this past life stuff is also gone, <laughs> you yeah. know? Yeah, I mean, the group of beings that I work with now in the healing work I had worked with before as a group, um, in between my lifetime so there's and i actually was teaching so here's a little this will satisfy you a little bit for in you know other dimensional experience in in other dimensions things things appear with a thought you know it's slower to manifest down here and so there would be classrooms energetic classrooms that would be created to then teach other guides how to do this healing work so i worked with this group of beings but there was also a a subtlety of skill that was at a mature enough level to be teaching. And I think that's also why there's such a refined skill set that's present right now is from that in between in between lifetimes. Because you asked either today or yesterday were there past lives that led me up to this and it you know it feels more it was in between lifetimes where mm -hmm. a lot of this awareness was uh, cultivated. And in this lifetime, yeah, I'm I'm the one on the, the ground level. Well, it's interesting to consider that there are beings all around that have that are sort of um, having a healing or beneficial influence, kind of guardian angel kind of concept. And uh, 
I find it interesting. I, I think some people are critical of that kind of thing because they feel like it's you're not cutting to the core of, of spiritual understanding and experience. You're you're getting caught up in interesting stories and and all. But what resonates with me is that you know the universe, as you were saying earlier, is totally alive. Um, not only all the things we see are imbued with pure intelligence or, or pure life, but everything we don't see, and there's a great deal of it. Um, even from a physics perspective, we don't see most of it. Uh, there's there's a whole, uh, you know, intricate, detailed, fantastic subtlety to to the universe that is beyond the cognition of most of us, and that's all alive, and that interacts with us whether we know it or not. And I, I kind of like to think of the universe as one giant evolution machine, and all that subtle stuff is are those are essential cogs in the machine. <laughs> you know, they're they're all uh, it's all working um, in symphony to um, facilitate the evolution of all of us individually and collectively. Mm -hmm. Right. I don't know if this is a good analogy, but it just appeared in my head, you know, of, of eating food, right? We eat food and most people just think about the food that they're eating and not how many hands it took to get that food there and that the that was actually outside growing with sun and water and there's dirt and these minerals came in and like there's like a whole lot that went on to have that piece of food. And the same thing is true for having a body. Like there is a whole lot going on for this body to be existing. Yeah. A whole lot. Yeah. And not just, I mean, you were talking earlier about each cell has its individuality and each organ and so on. I, I heard an interesting fact the other day. We'll see where we go with this. But it, it, within a single cell, the amount of DNA that's all coiled up in there, if you took it out and stretched it all out, it would be about a meter long or so. You know, pretty, pretty lot, pretty big amount. And then if you took all the DNA and all your cells and put it end to end, it would take a jet 20,000 years to fly the length of it. So that's how much kind of, even on a physical level, that's how much sort of information is stored in one human body. And, uh, and the DNA is just a small part of what's going on in a cell. There's so much. So, you know, I like this sciencey stuff sometimes because it just, uh, it evokes religious feelings in me. I mean, it evokes reverence and, and appreciation for, for the intelligence um, in governing the universe. I don't see how a, a, a nuclear biologist or a, a astronomer or any of these people could be atheists. It's like they're, it's staring them in the face, There's this profound intelligence governing everything. I can't speak to not seeing it, you know, because that's it's my experience, you know, of, and in terms of that awakening that doesn't end I was giving a session a few weeks ago and this particular person is really, really expanded, works with a lot of people, really conscious, very high vibration. And his system was wanting to ground and it's kind of like the roots of a tree, like the roots of the tree grow out as far as the branches do. You don't really necessarily see them under the ground. Right. And that, and that his grounding needed to go in through the cells and the mitochondria and I was seeing the details of all these little tiny structures in the cell because each of those little structures was waking up to the, the essence, that vibration. You're know, talking about that vibrational light you know, that each of us are, mm -hmm. was waking up to the resonance of that truth. And it was just the same way that the tree roots grow wide, that awareness needed to ground through 
and awakeness wanted to keep grounding through deeper and deeper to more subtle and subtle. I mean, I don't even know the things that I was seeing. I mean, they're the structures of the cells, but it was then the structures within those. So down to molecules and I was all sorts of stuff. So, so the, so physics, biology, I mean, all that stuff is, is very much a part of my life and my existence. Cause I just see it everywhere. Yeah. I just see it everywhere and, and experience everything is math, not great at math, but I also experience that these different dimensions, all having particular mathematical, I don't know what words to use. It's hard for me to find language for this, but there there's in, in the experience of the dimensions being stacked, there also can be at the same place at the same time. So it's all relative depending on your, on your perspective, mm. but I was feeling the resonance between them. And it's the best way to say it. I was feeling the resonance between them mathematically. So it's all that science stuff is really yeah. relevant and present for me. Well, this might be what you're referring to, but even scientists and mathematicians marvel and are quite perplexed by the, the correspondence between mathematics and the functioning of nature. It's as if somehow we've, it's not like man has developed mathematics, it's more like we've discovered the language of nature and, and found a, a, a kind of a notation with which it can be expressed. You know, why should E equal MC squared, you know? Why should, why should energy equal mass times the speed of light squared? And yet it does, and we can put that in an equation. So that's fascinating. Right, and it's the same way that, that the similarity between math and music, mm -hmm. right? They're just, it's just frequencies, harmonies, which can be looked at mathematically or experienced through sound. And what are frequencies? That's light. Those are rainbows. Yeah. You know? yeah. So I'll see things. I don't see math. I don't see numbers, <laughs> but I can experience. I don't know how to describe that. I can experience it in terms of math. I can see it in frequencies. I'll see things as color. I'll experience sometimes people's level of consciousness in terms of geometry. And I'll see all these different light grids of geometry. So just touching again a little bit on the different dimensions and why I don't talk about it so much in detail in the ones further up because I start to lose people because it makes no sense. With it. There's no reference point for having what I'm saying to make sense. And I don't know math well enough to explain it in a mathematical way, but I'll, yeah, I mean, it just feels like all these different expressions are uh, different ways of looking at the same divine creation. I'm just kind of thinking as you're saying that of like, you know, what, what Kristen's ordinary day is like going to the grocery store and stuff like that. I mean, are you kind of walking through the store, kind of seeing all this subtle stuff and, and every, you, you go through the checkout line and you, you glom onto the past lives of the, the checkout girl? <laughs> or do you sort of, does that all sort of shut down in ordinary circumstances and, and you're just uh, seeing the same ordinary world more or less that most people see? Not that everybody sees the same world, it's completely different for everybody, but you know what I mean. Right, right. I think for the most part, I'm just, I'm just sort of experiencing love, mm. you know, just totally in love with the grocery store that has all this gorgeous food and appreciation that I can afford it and, and eat well and loving the people that I'm seeing and the interactions they're having and, you know, <laughs> looking at the food and being in harmony with it and resonating with what food is wanting to actually come home with me and, <laughs> um, so, I mean, I think earlier on, I would feel more of other people's past life stuff when there was more of mine releasing because there was, with more conditioning, I had more triggers. 
So I might see someone else's past life because it was resonant or connected somehow with something that was clearing in me so that I would experience it more as irritation. Mm. So I would be present with all that consciousness and experience it as irritation and then notice that I was feeling irritation, look at what I was irritated about, see that person's past life, you know, and then process what I needed to. But that doesn't, that hasn't happened for a long time. Mm. So I'm not actively looking at all that stuff. Sometimes things come forward. Or if I see some, yeah, if I see someone and recognize, oh my God, I know you, you know, Uh from like whenever and... And so it's more awkward. In we were with Alexander like, the Great. <laughs> right. It's more awkward in terms of wanting to go hug somebody yeah. and uh, knowing that that's not really going to probably go over well. <laughs> that's funny. I have a friend, Mary Foster, whom I've interviewed a couple of times, and uh, she says she has things like she'll call up a software helpline or something or you know, credit card, and the, the service person she's talking to, she'll all of a sudden start, co- as soon as she hears their voice, she'll start cognizing all this stuff about their life, like, oh, she just broke up with her husband, and you know, this happened, and that happened. I mean, I don't know if that seems like that would be a bit much. You'd want to kind of filter it out. It would happen, you know, like when I was walking, walking down the, the sidewalk and there are lots of people around, I'll hear those things, but it's like, a, like soft music in the background or something. Yeah. It's not where my attention is going, and it just feels like it's just the abundance of creation just happening. Mm. So I, I definitely register it. I register when I'm out, when there's a lot of people. Like, I'll feel the, the largeness of the activity of consciousness that's present around me in that way. But um, I'm, I'm not bombarded or lost or triggered or... Yeah. That's, well, that's good. I bring it up because actually some people are, and I haven't gotten the sense that you are, but there are some people who have these awakenings and it's like a million radios playing all of a sudden and they can't shut it up. And uh, it takes them quite a while to sort of work all that out so they can lead a normal life. Uh, but uh, this is obviously not the case with you, but it, it's, I don't know if it's ever been the case, but it, you know, it's just sort of interesting. Yeah, no, it, it, hasn't, it hasn't been the case and it's more been a joy. Yeah. You know, we didn't talk about my horse at all uh, or mention him, but there was a, a strong, um, he's the one who actually taught me telepathy when I was a teenager. Mm. And it was, and I would love it. It was beautiful. I would be in town and he'd pop in and say, I'm cold, you know, or mm. I tipped my water bucket over, you mm. know. So there is a, um, so that, that ease of communication and, and accessibility has, has, pretty much always been experienced as a as a total gift a total total gift to be having that experience and um to share in that way nice well this is precious is there anything uh i mean there's tons of stuff we could talk about we'll we'll have future talks but is there anything now that you feel like is you know people really should hear that we haven't had a chance to talk about I would think maybe a little bit about Kauai and, you know, you asked a while ago about these different benchmarks, you mm-hmm. know, that have happened and actually my horse, my horse died so a few years ago and, and there was this call to go travel and I went to Sedona and, and Kauai and the power of the, the consciousness of the planet feels amplified there to me. I started doing a lot of traveling and just going and meditating in sacred sites where I was called to go. And that supported just a 
continual deepening and breaking open uh, in myself. And one of the last solo trips I did to uh, in Kauai, there was an exchange that happened and it was just really clear that I needed to start bringing people to Kauai to support people crack open, <laughs> you know, the, the way that Kauai supported that in me. And that I realized, even though I knew how to facilitate that for myself, that there was just an innate awareness of what was wanting to happen, that other people didn't know how to do that. So just just that, that that's what those those retreats are that I do. I don't know. The other thing that we didn't really talk about was the... So let me just clarify that. So you're yeah. saying that, you know, places like Kauai, maybe Sedona, uh, are conducive to cracking open, as you put it, uh, conducive to an awakening. And so you can um, enable people to have a, a more kind of potent experience or you could uh, going taking a group of people to a place like that facilitates um, rapid evolution more so than if you were to just do it in a local retreat center or something and, and therefore it's worth making the trip aside from the fact that Kauai is a lovely place to visit. Yeah and the same way that one might go to do a meditation retreat with a particular teacher because the particular teachers really helps facilitate that process you could do that. You could go to Kauai by yourself and do that the same way of letting Kauai open you in that way. Mm -hmm. And then the value of doing in the retreat is it's both. It's both a person showing up to help support you yeah. with also the support of Kauai. So it feels like it's a, a, a two for one, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah, right? You know, where there, there's, and because of my communication with, um, with the land itself, it's uh, it's co-created. Like I, my consciousness is present with the island, and we're not separate from each other. Yeah, the, it's it's created together. Mm. It's created together. Nice. And what was the other thing you were about to say? Do you remember? Oh, I wasn't sure if we talked about this in this session, in this this session, or the last one, and and if it's useful or not, I'll kind of toss it out. Which was about may, maybe it's not relevant. Um, what is it? Well, I was thinking about meet about meeting people because I remember I used that language yesterday of teaching people how to meet in themselves that which is wanting to dissolve. But I don't know. There's there's words aren't coming, so maybe maybe well, we're done. Maybe we can always bring that up in another one. All right. Well, let's wrap it up for now. Or could we sit just for a minute and we can edit out our little sitting for a minute if we need to, and just to be quiet for a second and see if there's any other words. Or? Sure. Yes. No problem. All right. You don't even have to edit it. Okay, <laughs> just for a second. I feel like there's something else that wants to come out, but it's just hovering. <laughs> it's like, a, it's just the way I sort of live. Like, I don't... Start with the kernel of it and see if the rest of it unfolds. Well, I was just going to say there's no... It's like, like thoughts. It's not like I think or I think about things to say. It's like... There's presence, yeah, or the, there's the, the, the presence of the, the, all the information before thought, and then there's just a resting, and then that, it then turns into thought, or most cases bypasses thought and just comes out, you know, and then I hear it as it's being said. Mm. So I couldn't even start, there's not even a, a kernel, I just feel it in through my heart. So if we can sit again just for another short minute. <laughs> sure. Yep, okay. 
I think this might be a much larger thing that we can share at some other point, but there's another whole kind of body of information that's been present for me through this awakening, and it's the physical anatomy. It's like this, the anatomy of consciousness. And um, so when I'm teaching, I'll have different ways that I'm supporting people find the truth in themselves. And sometimes working with the structures helps. So there's a core flow of what I call core flow of consciousness. I'm sure there are words for it in other languages. And I'll work with that and support people falling back into that truth in themselves. Just a whole other topic of working with that core flow, the structures and the different dimensional bodies. And there are chakras in each of the dimensional bodies. And that as integration happens, awakening happens, you know, integrating through all those levels, there's a lot of um, subtle detail that I could share about that. And well, that would again, be a teaser a, for the next interview. It's, it's, a, it's, a much, it's a much bigger thing, but it somehow feels relevant in terms of some of the things that I offer that the mind can think, oh my goodness, that's just a bunch of busy, energetic anatomy, distracting stuff going on. And and that's not true for me, that, that all of that is used as a ground for awakening and supporting people to navigate through the subtle truths to open up to the deeper truth. Nice. We'll have more conversations like this over time. And when we do, we can kind of make sure that we're covering fresh ground and not discussing, you know, just rehashing stuff we talked about today. Cause I'm sure there are all kinds of packages of knowledge and experience that we can explore. So for now though, uh, let me conclude, first of all, by thanking you for doing this and, um, for doing it twice in a row. <laughs> I think today's one worked out much better than yesterday's. Yesterday was sort of a dress rehearsal. It's funny, when I went to meditate last night, I, I really crashed and slept for a long time. And I, I kind of felt like somehow doing this interview with you settled me down a lot or something, or, or kind of enabled me to unload a package of fatigue or impressions or whatever that I was a little tenacious and uh, so I feel much more kind of settled and, and subtle today than, than I did yesterday so it was good thanks yeah, well I, I thoroughly enjoyed both both mornings yeah great <laughs> I've been speaking with Kristen Kirk I'll be linking to her website as I always do on her page on batgap.com b-a-t-g-a-p so you'll be able to hop from there over to Kristen's website what is it kristenkirk.com Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And Kristen is spelled K-R-I-S-T-I-N. So when you go to her site, you'll see all the things she offers and whatnot. And, um, and you'll see that she charges money for some of these things. Don't have a conniption fit like you, people sometimes do when I interview somebody and they discover they have to pay 150 bucks or whatever for a session. People have to support themselves. This is all you do is this sort of thing. You don't go work at Burger King and you <laughs> right. I mean, it came out of my massage practice, you know, so I was just charging what I was charging for regular sessions. Yeah. And that's what you charge now? Yeah. Which is? Uh, it's 100 an hour, so 150 okay. for an hour and a half, yeah. Sure. And also, you're not offering free trips to Kauai. I'm sure people have to pay if they want to do that. And you just take like eight people, right? It's actually six. Six. For the Kauai one. I also do ones that are larger, that's just six day, more like a regular meditation retreat, which is available. But the deeper ones that are two weeks, well, like 12 days, mm -hmm. um, I keep to six people to have them be really, really intimate and potent. Yeah. Good. 
Great. Well, thanks for that. And so now in a more general sense, in, in terms of BatGap.com, uh, people listening to this, if they've never been there before, will see a number of things. There's, there's an alphabetical list of all the people I've interviewed. Um, there's a chronological list, which at the moment is under the Other Stuff menu. There's a discussion group where um, each interview has its own section and um, people can get into discussing what was talked about in this interview. And I'd like to just make an appeal to those who participate in that to keep it cordial. You know, a lot of times on the internet, people's inhibitions drop when they have the anonymity of, you know, using some handle for their, their name and they sometimes get a lot more snarky in uh, discussion groups than they would in a personal conversation with somebody and I'd like to keep a more positive tone in that discussion group than it has sometimes um, degenerated into. So that's a general caution there and I, I might end up having to moderate or boot people if they can't heed it. There's a donate button which I appreciate people clicking if and when they can. It makes this whole thing possible. There's a place to sign up to be notified by email each time a new interview is posted and there's a link to an audio podcast so you can subscribe to that and listen to these interviews on your iPad or a pod or a thing, iPhone, <laughs> your eye thing while you're driving or whatever. So that and more, visit batgap.com. Next week I'll be speaking with Hamid Ali who goes by the pen name A.H. Almas, a very interesting guy. I'm sure people appreciate that. So thanks for listening or watching. Thank you very much again, Kristen, and we will meet again. Thank you so much. It's just been a total pleasure and delight. Thank yeah. you. All righty. Until next time. Sounds good.